This is the One Verse Podcast, where we liberate scripture from religion one verse at a time. Well, hello there. Thank you once again for joining me on the One Verse Podcast. I'm your host for this podcast, Jeremy Myers. I say host because I'm sort of starting a new element to my podcast every once in a while. I want to interview a Christian author or teacher or podcaster or pastor or blogger who has some interesting things to teach us about Scripture. And today I am hosting or interviewing Frank Viola author of many books, but his newest book is Insurgents. So we're going to talk a little bit about his book and discuss a few texts, one of which is Matthew eleven twelve, where uh, we read, And from the days of John the Baptist until now, the kingdom of heaven suffers violence, and the violence take it by force. Is Jesus saying there that if you want to expand or spread the kingdom of God on earth, that you need to use violence and force any means necessary, right, to get people to, what, change their life, believe in Jesus, spread the gospel, go to church, you know, whatever you understand by the kingdom of heaven, the kingdom of God. Well, that's what we discuss. That's what Frank Viola and I discuss today, along with many other concepts. And I need to tell you, as he and I had this discussion, I pre-recorded it, uh, I, there were many times when I got chills and goosebumps based on what he was saying. I think he has some insights here, which are not only going to help you understand Scripture and numerous passages from Scripture, but more importantly, are going to change your life, set you free from some of the things going on in this world, and also maybe help you understand some of the the violence and calls for violence and just the, the separation and division that is occurring within Christianity today over some of the political and economic and racial things that are happening in our country and around the world. So I would strongly encourage you to listen to this podcast episode and uh, all the way to the end as well, because he mentions at the end, there's these three bonuses you can get if you buy his book by the end of July, 2018. Okay, so if you're listening to this uh, after July, 2018, the bonuses are no longer available, but the book is, of course, and you can get that anywhere books are sold. And I want to mention as well, uh, as far as my discipleship group goes, I did finally finish my lesson on the word fire for the Gospel Dictionary. So if you're part of my discipleship group, be looking for that very soon. It's a very long episode, and I deal with lots of difficult texts in Scripture. For example, the parable of the wheat and the tares, where the tares are burned with fire. Does that mean they're going to hell? I say no. The judgment of the sheep and the goats in Matthew 25, where the goats on his left go away into everlasting fire. Is that hell? I say no. I discuss the rich man and Lazarus in Luke 16. What a difficult text that is. I explain what's going on there. Also, the image of the lake of fire in Revelation 20 and 21. Okay, all of these texts and more are discussed in my lesson on fire. All right, so we are slowly working our way through these 52 keywords of the gospel in that course, my gospel dictionary, and uh, fire is one of them. And so uh, that lesson, look for it very soon, uh, definitely by the end of the month. 
as I edit it and prepare it and get it uploaded into the, the, uh, the, the course area. All right, the manuscript will be there as well as the downloadable MP3 audio teaching for that. Okay, I imagine uh, because there's so much, it's going to be a multi-hour lesson, uh, but there's so much there, I think you're going to benefit from it. Okay, so with all that in mind, let's dive into my discussion with Frank Viola about his new book, Insurgents, Reclaiming the Gospel of the Kingdom. So I'm joined by Frank Viola today, and we're going to be discussing his book, Insurgents, Reclaiming Gospel of the Kingdom. Frank, welcome to the podcast. Hey, good to be on, Jeremy. Awesome. Now, I've read this book, and it's a hefty book. It's uh, about 430 pages here. But one of the things I really appreciated about this book is, although it's tackling this somewhat controversial topic, the gospel of the kingdom, uh, it's, it's written in a very readable way. Almost every chapter is sort of like, as I was reading it, it was reminding me of blog posts, uh, short, concise, easy to read, bite-sized pieces that people can digest in their busy schedules. Is that, is that sort of how you intended to write this book? Absolutely. Uh, I'm someone who is a voracious reader, but one of my big hangups is I'm a slow reader and I hate reading books that have long chapters because it makes me feel like I'm never going to end. <laughs> I'm yep. never going to finish. And so what I wanted to do in this book is to make it very accessible to anybody, whether it's you know heavy duty, dense readers of academic books as well as kids just out of high school or who are going to high school who who uh, have been raised on blogature, <laughs> which is blog posts and tweets and texts. And so uh, every chapter is one page or two pages long, uh, with the exception of a few, few. Like a three-page chapter would be long for this book. Uh, but it is lengthy because I try to cover the waterfront on the kingdom of God, from Genesis to Revelation, specifically with looking at the incredible, earth-shaking gospel of the kingdom that was preached by Jesus and the apostles. Right, and that seems to be a big topic in the last couple of years, maybe in the last couple of decades. It seems like everybody's putting out books on the kingdom of God, and there seems to be lots of different views on the kingdom. So how is your book different from all of these others? Yeah, that's a great question. Well, first of all, I would say you're right that there have been many, many writers over the last 50 years who've written on the kingdom, the kingdom of God, but very few, very few. I mean, I can probably count on one hand, Jeremy, over the last five decades uh, where anyone has written a book on the gospel of the kingdom. Hmm. And those are two different things. They're related, but they are distinct. And so this book is different in a number of ways. One, most of the books that I have come across that, that talk about the kingdom of God are either very dense, very academic, very heady, very intellectual, uh, very difficult to read unless you're into those kinds of books, or they're very um, shallow in my view. You know, they, they might cover one or two aspects of the kingdom of God and leave it at that. And at the end of the day, you really haven't learned a whole lot. Um, so so I, this book differs in that not only is it easy to read, but it comprehensive, comprehensively covers every aspect of the kingdom of God that I'm aware of, 
uh, everything from inheriting the kingdom to um, the 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 gospel uh, kingdom message, which really it focuses on that. What is the gospel of the kingdom? Uh, it treats uh, the gospel of the kingdom through the lens of Jesus, John the Baptist, Paul of Tarsus, and Simon Peter, as well as the other apostles. And it covers it from Genesis all the way to Revelation and tells a story that has a lot of missing pieces in it when it's retold today, I have found. For example, there's a whole discussion on the world system and what the world system is and how we can identify it in our lives. There's a whole um, section on what I call the cosmic story, which gets into the principalities and powers that Paul talks about. Well, who are they exactly? Where did they come from? And the story that's uncovered in the book about the principalities and powers, and to my mind, Jeremy, is revolutionary. It is just unbelievable. It's something I discovered uh, over the years, and I tried to articulate it in the book, and that's one of the chapters that's really uh, shaken people up, so to speak. Um, so, so I'm also trying to speak to the heart and the head. Uh, many of the books on the kingdom only speak to the head, but I really wanted to cut right through the heart, to strike at the reader's heart. And the other thing is, um, I would say the uniqueness about it is not only the short chapters, but there's a taking action section after each uh, part of the book where I walk the reader through how to implement very practically the message that I'm sharing. So it's just not another read. We put it on the bookshelf. We have some highlighted parts. Hey, that's a great book. Let's go on to the next book. Uh, I actually give people practical handles and exercises on how to make this a living, breathing reality in their own life, including how to find others uh, who are in their, their locales to begin living kingdom life together. And so there's that as well. Hmm. Yeah, no, you just summarized basically the book, at least my response to the book as I was reading it. I did find that there was lots in there for people who are more academic, you know, who have been reading a lot and can dive into the D Greek and Hebrew, but also, and this is the real test, I think, of a genius book, uh, it's accessible to any reader of any level of theologist. So even even someone who knows nothing about the gospel of the kingdom or the, all the discussions about the kingdom of God, kingdom of heaven, what it is, where it is, how it comes, all that, this is a great introduction even for them, and they will find uh, lots in here to help them get a handle on the, on the concept. And then best of all, as you said, it's also devotional. People, uh, you know, you're not just going to be learning theology here, but also finding your heart and your mind and your soul and your spirit more connected with God. And then the application, super practical. Uh, before we go further, though, what is the insurgents? You titled it Insurgents, and then the subtitle, Reclaiming the Gospel of the Kingdom. I'm curious about that, just the title, where that comes from, what it means, and, uh, you know, how that helps us understand the gospel of the kingdom. Yeah, great question. Um, basically, in the New Testament, and I bring this out in the book, I show exactly where it is in the New Testament, but uh, Jesus Christ was called an insurgent. And insurgence has to do with a revolution. And in this case, the gospel of the kingdom produces an insurgence. It did in the first century. It literally shook the Roman Empire to its core and got the apostles in hot water, um, as well as getting Jesus himself killed. And so we're talking about something that is bigger than simply a message 
a doctrine, an idea, a philosophy. We're talking about a revolution. And what is so interesting to me in the timing of this book, I think is, is integral on this, is that in July of 2017, last year, I held a conference where I uncorked the gospel of the kingdom. And we spent three days together. Um, and what was amazing about it is after I gave those messages early on in the conference, there were spontaneous baptisms. People wanted to be baptized, knowing what baptism meant for the first time. You know, baptism is not just a, an outward ritual to depict an inward experience. It is a breaking of the loyalty oath to fallen human civilization to the world system. Hmm. Uh, and and it is a, a, a complete breaking of the ties that we have to the world system and an entering into a new civilization, which Jesus called the kingdom of God. And it's a very powerful thing. And so we had spontaneous baptisms after the messages. I didn't even ask for it. I didn't even give an invitation <laughs> to it. Uh, it was incredible. And I mark that day, uh, that weekend is when, at least in my experience from what I see, and I travel quite a bit, uh, is when the insurgents began in the United States. Of course, it began a lot longer beforehand in the first century, but we're seeing, I believe, Jeremy, a restoration, a recovery of the gospel of the kingdom in its explosive titanic power. And based on the responses I'm getting so far from the book, anywhere from people who are in their 80s all the way to uh, high school students, believe it or not, and leaders of campus organizations and college students, it is hitting a nerve. It is striking at something in the hearts of God's people that has been neglected. Uh, and just to just to give you just one example uh, of what I'm talking about, which is quite amazing, really. Um, I've received a, an email from a gentleman who is a leader in uh, a very, well, I would say very large movement. Um, and the guy is 83 years old. And by the way, that's not the typical audience. Typical audience of this book is 20s, 30s, and 40s. But anyway, he says, I have written about 50 books. I've read hundreds, maybe thousands of my 83 years. Insurgents is the one book you must read. It is everything I believe said much better than I'm graced to say. Uh, he says, your efforts will be unfruitful apart from the kingdom foundation clearly laid out in Frank Viola's new book. During the entire time of reading this book, my spirit has been vibrating like a tuning fork that has just been struck. And I, this came out of the blue, Jeremy. I had no I know who this guy is. I mean, he has a lot of stature in the Christian world. Um but when I read that, I just was blown away. And then I, the same day, I received an email from another gentleman who is a leader in the Christian world. Uh, he's he's much younger. But after reading it, he said, uh, quite honestly, I am undone in many ways. This book devastated me. Uh, he talks about how it clarified issues of worldliness in his own life that he was not aware of. And then listen to this. For three weeks now, I have been seriously mulling the idea that I should get baptized again because of the light dispensed by this book. Mm -hmm. I mean, that's unbelievable to hear a Christian leader say that. Yeah. 
You know what I mean? Oh, wow. So it, it's it's kind of emails like that where people are just talking about how it's wrecking them. And I am just humbled by this. I am, I, I got to say, I'm surprised. I mean, I was hoping for that, but when it actually happens, you know, you hmm. know you're, you're thinking, well, Lord, you really are doing this. Hmm. Uh, and so, you know, that's, that's what I wanted uh, this book to do. Many people have compared this book, Jeremy, insurgents to pagan Christianity that I put out with George Barna 10 years ago in this way, that what, what pagan Christianity did was it deconstructed our understanding of church, where this book, Insurgents, deconstructs many modern understandings of the kingdom, but what pagan Christianity did not do, it intentionally did not offer solutions. The books that followed pagan Christianity did that, in insurgents, you have the solutions, you have the remedies, you have the suggested exercises, uh, and what I believe to be the antidotes in the book itself. So hmm. that's what sets it apart. Yeah, pagan Christianity was super influential in me and my journey away from sort of institutional church and where I'm at now. Uh, but you mentioned um, baptism and sort of what it really means, dying to... Uh, what did you say? Uh, dying to sort of the world system or or the, the, the way the world is running, the principalities and powers, that sort of concept. Did I understand that correctly? Yeah, it is It is the separation from total severing yeah. of all ties, all allegiances to the world system. Now, uh, when we talk about the world system, it's, it's interesting to me because I have found that in the Christian world today— today, many, many believers have no idea what the world system is, and yeah. yet it's all over the New Testament. You know, Jesus said uh, of Satan, he is the prince of this world. Uh, John, over and over again, says things like, love not the world, nor the things that are in the world. Now, he's not talking about the earth, and he's not talking about the people, human beings who are part of the world. Yeah. He's talking about a system. And Paul says that Satan is the god of this world in 2 Corinthians. He's talking about the world system. And the world system is essentially fallen human civilization that was built after the fall as a counterfeit to the Garden of Eden where God's presence was. And so people look for enjoyment, security, provision in the world system. And the world system has many other systems to it. The entertainment system is part of the world system. The educational system, the political system, mm. that's a big one. Mm. <laughs> uh, and even, Jeremy, the Babylonian religious system are all part of the world system. And so when the early Christians came to Jesus Christ and they were baptized, they were radicalized. I'm going to use that term. They were radicalized to Jesus Christ and his kingdom. They still lived in the world. They were still part of the world, but they were no longer of or from the world. And they did not entangle themselves in the world system. They had a totally different civilization now in which they lived with other people who were under the headship of Christ. And it was a totally different way of living. And when people in the first century, Jeremy, looked at these groups, these clusters of, of Jesus followers, and they looked at their life together, what did, what did they see? They saw what it means for God himself in the person of Jesus Christ to be king. What did that look like? And it looked like mutual submission, 
uh, loving and caring for one another, even though they were of different races. Hmm. You know, the Jew and the Gentile were actually part of one family now, which was unheard of and unthinkable. Um, they saw what justice, true justice looks like. They saw what true forgiveness looks like. They saw what racial unity looks like, what ethnic unity looks like. They peered into that group of believers and they looked at their life together and they said, aha, this is what the kingdom of God is. And the, and the ecclesia in the first century was a colony of heaven lived out on this planet. And that's, that's a lot of what the kingdom of God and the gospel of the kingdom produces when we rightly respond to it. And I talk very practically about that. Hmm. All right. So you mentioned uh, a little bit, a little bit ago, politics, and then you brought up racial uh, differences and economic differences, all the things that are in the news and and the whole yep. political sphere today. So I'm going to give. <laughs> all right. So I'm going to give you the opportunity to solve all the world's problems here. All right. Which which political platform, conservative, liberal? I'm even seeing socialism versus capitalism in the news today a lot. Which one best fits with the kingdom of God? Here, here's your chance. Yeah. Solve the problem. Yeah, yeah. Here's my chance. My chance is that's completely the wrong question. Yeah. And when Jesus Christ came into this into this earth, there were two big political parties. You had the Sadducees and the Pharisees. And Jeremy, the Pharisees were the conservative right of their day. They had their own agenda. They had their own talking points. And they were in collusion with Rome. You had the Sadducees, who were the progressive left of their, their, that day. They, too, had their own talking points and their own agenda. And they were in collusion with Rome. And both of them were trying to leverage the political process to achieve their agenda. And Jesus Christ would not, he refused to be part of either. Mm. He came with a completely different agenda, a completely different mindset, and it was the kingdom of God. And what he preached was not the conservative right or the progressive left. It was the gospel of the kingdom that cut through and transcended both. I put this on my uh, Facebook wall today just to create some intrigue. And here it is. Listen to this. Out of the social media feed, the heart speaks. Hmm. What's in your heart? The kingdom of God, the Lord Jesus Christ, or the talking points of the conservative right or the progressive left. Hmm. And it's it's what I talk about in the book. And of course, we, we, we could take hours dissecting this and breaking it apart. But the gospel of the kingdom has no points of contact with the agenda and the talking points and the um, the um, motivation and the um, the structural uh, concepts uh, and the practical outworking of the conservative right and the progressive left. Mm -hmm. And that's a strong statement, okay, when I say no points of contact. But I'm talking uh, – what I'm talking about is this. I would put it this way. There were two trees in the garden, correct? Right. And God, God said you can eat of any tree uh, that's in the garden, but there are two main trees, and there's only one that's off limits. So watch your diet is what he told Adam, okay? <laughs> and we know the story, and we know the consequences. Well, here's the thing. Both the progressive left and the conservative right – Regardless of the intentions, and I believe the intentions of both, for the most part, are good. 
And even and I'm I'm talking to the Christian audience now. You know, I have friends on the conservative right, and their intentions are good, and they believe that their views map with Scripture. And I have friends on the progressive left, many of whom are a really a reaction to the conservative right, and uh, they're well intended, and their views they believe map with Scripture. Well, here's the thing: both the conservative right and the progressive left, Jeremy, are eating from the same exact tree. Mm. They're just eating from different parts of it, but it is not the tree of life. And this is what's happening when when people are reading this book, Insurgents, you know what they're saying? This is what a lot of my mail says. They say, I had no idea. My eyes have been opened, and I now see that the whole political process and trying to sit at the seat, seat of Caesar to try to change the world has been, has been misguided. And deep down in my heart, I've always known there was something wrong with both, you know, both aisles, both, both parts of the aisle, but I never really understood why. So it's kind of giving language and understanding to Christians, just like when they read Pagan Christianity, the overwhelming response was, I knew something was wrong when I walk into the church building, I listen to the sermon, I throw money in the plate, I sing the songs led by the worship team, and then I go back to live my individualistic life. I always knew there was something wrong, but I didn't know what it was. And your book has given me language and understanding as to what that wrong thing was. Well, the same exact thing is happening with insurgents when it comes to the political conversations that we Christians have. And we fight over and we have Facebook smackdowns and throwdowns every single day. And yet here is Jesus Christ who is saying, you know what? There's something higher, deeper, and beyond. And I'm not talking about going to heaven when you die, folks. I'm talking about something right here, right now. I'm ready to get baptized again. <laughs> yeah, oh, no, that's wow. fantastic. I think more people need to hear that exactly exact same thing. We're not fighting for our political platform, but for the kingdom of God. So, hey, I want, my, my podcast is the One Verse Podcast, and so one of the things I do try to do is focus on at least one passage of Scripture. Now, in passing, you have mentioned uh, various concepts that will help us understand various texts, such as the idea of baptism and the principalities and power and the world system. Those three ideas there are going to help a lot of people understand many passages in the Bible. But I do want to focus, if we have time, just on two verses really quick. And uh, one of these is, let's see, let's start with Luke 17, 20 and 21. It mentions the kingdom of God. And what's happening here is uh, the Pharisees have been having their encounter with Jesus and so he was asked by the Pharisees when the kingdom of God would come. And Jesus answered and said to them, The kingdom of God does not come with observation, nor will they say, See here or see there. For indeed, the kingdom of God is within you. What does this passage teach us about the kingdom of God? And what's Jesus telling us here? Hey, that's great. Uh, what version were you reading from, by the way? This was the New King James Version. Okay, New King James. Uh, New King James is very good in some passages. It's not so good on others. Yep. And I would say that here it's not so good. Um, basically, you have Jesus standing in the midst of Pharisees who he had, he had called in John 8, children of the devil. Okay, so right. the Pharisees are not good in Jesus' mind. Okay, <laughs> they don't have the same offspring that he does. Uh, their father is Satan, according to Jesus in John 8. Well, they're looking for the kingdom of God, and he turns around and says, 
you can't see it there or here. Guess what? The kingdom of God is, and here's the better translation, in your midst. Hmm. And what he was saying is, you're looking at the embodiment of the kingdom of God. I am the kingdom of God. I am in your midst, and wherever I am, there is the kingdom. Hmm. Whatever I do, that's the kingdom being expressed. Whatever I say, that's the kingdom speaking. I am the kingdom embodied. It is in your midst. It is within your reach. And that's what he was saying. He wasn't saying that the kingdom of God was inside the Pharisees. I mean, <laughs> you know, uh, yeah. that that is, you know, they're children of Satan. They're, the kingdom is not in them. That's number one. Number two is you cannot find anywhere in the New Testament where the kingdom enters a person. What you do find is that we enter the kingdom, okay? So Jesus was in effect saying, I embody the kingdom. And this is this is powerful because many people have taken that passage and read the other interpretation of it, the kingdom is within you, and come out with this conclusion. Oh, yes, the kingdom of God is this privatized, individualistic experience. It's in me, it's in you. And so now we basically live our lives through you know, the political system or or social activism or trying to affect laws and trying to make the world a better place, but the kingdom is really inside me. And that is not what the Lord is saying. He is saying he is the embodiment of the kingdom. And then when he rose again from the dead, um, and then he breathed into his disciples, guess what happened? The passage moved, and now this group of people who had Christ living in them, they now embodied the kingdom also. Hmm. And so the kingdom of God, as Revelation says, he has made us corporately a kingdom. And this goes back to what God said to Israel in Exodus. I have made you a kingdom of priests. And then Peter quotes that in his letter and says, we are the royal priesthood. We are the kingdom on earth. And uh, so so that's that's one passage you wanted to talk about. You said you had another one, I think. Yes, Um that's fantastic, by the way, and uh, I always try to point that out in my studies as well. Sometimes the translation is the traitor. It's so fa- so often common for people to say, oh, well, you're reading the Bible wrong because here in the King James Version or the New International Version or whatever, it says this. Uh, but sometimes the translation is the one that's leading you astray, and there, that's what's happening here with my version, New King James. Uh, the kingdom of God is within you. It makes you think, oh, it's inside me. Uh, right. And it sort of is in the sense that I'm part of the body of Christ, the church, the ecclesia, right? Uh, mm-hmm. but uh, only as it's not an individual, privatized, uh, spiritual experience. Right. It's exactly. as we exactly. embody the values and nature and character and actions and, and outlook on life that we see in Jesus. Is that what I'm understanding? Yeah, and the, the kingdom is, you know, is in effect hmm. the, uh, the manifestation of God's ruling presence in and through his people together corporately. Okay. So if I if I was living in the first century and I wanted to see the kingdom of God, uh, and I would say in the in, in the town of Israel and it was 33 AD, guess where I'd go? I'd go to the city of Jerusalem and I would meet these people, John and Peter and Andrew and all of those people on the day of Pentecost who were living together, taking care of one another. They had forsaken everything. And they inherited Jesus Christ, his presence among them. And when I went into that group of believers, wherever they were gathering together, whatever they were doing together, I was seeing a demonstration of the kingdom of God on earth. Mm, fantastic. And uh, Yeah, absolutely. Okay. So 
Uh, anyway, I talk more about that in the book and sure. flesh it out. Okay, good. Well, let's deal with one more. And this passage has really struggled. Uh, it's troubled me for, for many, many years, and I do not understand it. But uh, the way you explain it in the book, I found really helpful. So let's just also address Matthew eleven twelve, where Jesus says, Assuredly, I say to you, again, this is from the New King James. <laughs> uh, Assuredly, I say to you, among those... I'm sorry, 1112. And from the days of John the Baptist until now, the kingdom of heaven suffers violence, and the violent take it by force. I've sometimes heard um, Christians say that we need to expand the kingdom on the world, and we need to use force if necessary, and this is one of the verses that sometimes gets quoted. Is that what Jesus is saying? We can expand the kingdom with violent means and violent force? <clears throat> no, not physical violence, not at all. Uh, what what Jesus is talking about there is best understood by the parallel passage in Luke. There is a parallel passage to that, just as there are in many statements of Jesus in the Gospels. When you compare the different Gospels, you, you get a lot of light on it. But in Luke, he says, those who press into the kingdom, press into. Here he, ta- he says, take it by violence. What the Lord is speaking about is a desperate, aggressive move toward entering into the kingdom. It is one of desperation or I would say spiritual violence. Hmm. If you remember uh, in the Old Testament, we have a couple pictures of this. One of them is Jacob is here wrestling with an angel and he doesn't give up. He doesn't let go. He wrestles all night. And the point there is that Jacob is being desperate and aggressive. And he says, I will not let you go until you bless me. All right. There is a violent, spiritually violent pushing in, pressing in to the things of the kingdom that is required to actually receive those things of the kingdom. And so many Christians, they may, you know, see something in the Lord that they desire, that they want him to bless them, him to him to bless another person, him to heal someone, whatever it may be. And after one or two tries, they give up. Okay. Or it may be overcoming an issue in their life. You know, maybe they have an addiction, maybe they have some kind of weakness and there is no violence, spiritual violence to take that thing in the Lord. And so what the Lord is saying is if you want to enter into the fullness of the kingdom, you must arm yourself with a violent, desperate pursuit. And we have many examples of this in the New Testament. You know, uh, if you remember, there was blind, blind Bartimaeus and here the son of God comes, walks by and, and he says, uh, you know, Son of David, have mercy on me. And the disciples tell him to shut up, be quiet, you know, leave the master alone. And he raises his voice even more. Okay. <laughs> he doesn't stop. And he continues on until Jesus finally turns to him and makes him well and heals his eyesight. And then he throws away his beggar's garment and he's fully healed. Well, if he just gave up, he would not have been healed. Same thing with the Syrophoenician woman. Remember, uh, she asked the Lord to heal her daughter, and and Jesus ignores her. Hmm. <laughs> and again, you know, the disciples are like, "Leave the master alone." Well, and then she says again. She she comes at him a second time, and and then he just says something like, "Well, you know, the Son of Man has come to the lost house of Israel, uh, not to the dogs." And then she she doesn't give up. Yeah. 
she says, well, you know, the, the, the dogs eat the crumbs off the table. <laughs> and then the Lord says, all right. <laughs> and he makes his, her, her daughter well. You and I are in desperate need of the Lord and all the riches that are in the kingdom of God, every single one of us. And I'm talking about one aspect of the kingdom now. Uh, there are many other aspects. But when it comes to receiving the Lord's highest and best in what he has for the kingdom— he has what we need. But the problem is so many Christians give up. They just throw in the towel. And this is what the Lord is talking about. We press into the kingdom. We, it, it's almost like not taking no for an answer when it comes to what the Lord has offered his children, you know, victory, deliverance, etc. And so there is a violent taking of the kingdom, and that's what it's referring to. Another example of this is when Paul told, told the early Christians in uh, Galatia, they were very young converts, and he, he planted the four churches in Galatia with Barnabas, and then as they parted, they said, it is through much tribulation that we enter the kingdom of God. Mm. And so there's another aspect of entering into the fullness of the kingdom. Uh, so, yeah, there, there's a lot more to it, but that, that's just sort of a, a quick riff on what he's talking about. He's certainly not talking about using the power of the sword <laughs> to try to make converts or push your agenda. He's talking about spiritual violence. Yeah. Well, that's fantastic. It really helps with that verse. The great thing about the kingdom of God is— <laughs> Uh, it's on every, pretty much every page of Scripture, especially the Gospels and the New Testament, isn't it? And so uh, these sorts of understandings really, once we get a hold of them and start to understand them, really not only going to change our view of Scripture, but also how we live our life and interact with others and view what's going on in this world. That's basically what I hear you saying, right? Oh, yes, and much more as well. But yeah. uh, for sure, if anybody's interested in a deeper look at the kingdom and a very easy read— in a way that's super accessible, that don't want to check out the book Insurgents. And we have a website which has samples, uh, both audio and uh, print. Uh, they can just get an idea of, of it, as well as endorsements for people like Greg Boyd and Bruxy Cavi and, and Michael Heiser and Craig Keener, et cetera. But it's insurgents.org. Okay. Insurgents.org. And yeah, there's a lot of free material they can uh, pull down from that website. Yeah, and I get your Thursday emails, and I'm recording this on Thursday, and it will get published today as well. And I saw this morning that there's some bonuses that go along with the book. Tell me about those. Yeah, um, this is until August 1st. So if you hear this podcast after August 1st, the, these will have expired. But um, every, anybody that orders the book, if they um, go to insurgents.org and they scroll down, they'll see a very short video that explains uh, what the bonuses are and how to get them. Uh, they'll get a, a conference message that's never been released before that I delivered in 1998, a mm. uh, long time ago, when I was young and nobody knew who I was. I'd never written a book before. Um, and then also a live Q&A session that I did with pastors uh, at a pastor's conference. And at the very end, um, something remarkable happened that where the kingdom of God broke through that room. And it was unbelievable. And people can hear that uh, as well. That's part of the bonuses. And then the third bonus is uh, a little talk I gave called Reframing Rejection. And I talk about how uh, this book, Insurgents, was rejected by five different publishers before it was published and why. And uh, and I I... <laughs> very almost 
I was very close to losing heart and thinking, well, you know, my time as a writer is over. Um, and so I, I give that as a lesson because all of us face rejection in some form or another. And, uh, the real question is, uh, are we able to reframe that rejection and not despair? And so I, I give a little lesson on that. So three bonuses. And if they just go to insurgents.org, scroll down to the bottom, you'll see a little short, like two minute video, and it explains how to get the bonuses, what they are and how to get them. Okay. And people can buy the book. I'm looking on Amazon. looks like, uh, what, 68, 67, five-star reviews already, something like that. It's fantastic. It's only been out for a couple of weeks now, right? <sighs> Yes, that's yes, very I mean, encouraging. Really, <laughs> yeah, almost 100% five-star reviews, which is impressive. Um, but other than Amazon, people can buy the book pretty much anywhere. Uh, Barnes & Noble, I imagine, Apple, mm -hmm. any any bookstore, really, right? Yeah. And, and that I would mean, qualify for the bonuses? Oh, yeah, they can get it anywhere. And if they just send an email to that uh, email that's on that video, you know, saying I've got the book, they can get the bonuses. So yeah, they can buy it anywhere. Great. Mm -hmm. Okay. So other than the insurgents uh, website, where else can people contact you if they want to learn more about you, your books and and who you are, what you offer? Um, well, they, there's a really beautiful uh, design blog, which was designed by Jeremy Myers. <laughs> uh, it's uh, frankviola.org. And yep. they will not only be able to um, contact the blog and read the articles and, you know, just see what's out there. Uh, we've got a podcast, we have books, we have a new YouTube channel, but um, they'll also see your fine work, my friend, <laughs> on what you can do on the internet and the beauty you can create. Uh, I appreciate the plug there. Yep. I've enjoyed working with you over the years, reading your books, but also helping you get your message out into the world as well and working with other authors that you send my way to help them do the same thing. So I appreciate that. But all right, I'll make sure I'll include all those links as well as links to the book in the show notes for those of you who want to just uh, access the show notes and uh, click through to wherever you want to go. Make sure you get that book before the end of the month, before July of 2018, end of July 2018, uh, by August 1st. And that way you can make sure you get those three bonuses from Frank Viola as well about his book, Insurgents. Frank, I really appreciate it. Thank you for your time. And I know you're busy with more interviews later on today, so I'm going to let you go. All right. Thanks so much. And Lord bless you, bro. Uh, likewise. Thanks. Bye-bye. So that was my discussion with Frank Viola about his book, Insurgents, Reclaiming the Gospel of the Kingdom. If you're like me, hopefully you benefited greatly from that discussion, found many helpful insights and ideas, which is not only going to change and revolutionize your understanding of Scripture, but more importantly, change and revolutionize your life how you interact with others, how you view Jesus, how you view your role in the church, how you view this world, the principalities and powers, this world system. Maybe, like me, you even want to get baptized again so that you can die to what this world is trying to make you be, make you become, make you side with, various political sides, whatever it might be, and live the gospel of the kingdom in your life. All right, rather than the conservative right or the progressive left or socialism, capitalism, whatever the view might be, the gospel of the kingdom is over, above, and better than all of that. All right, and it fits. The gospel of the kingdom does not fit with any of those views. So as, as Frank mentioned to us, I do encourage you to get a copy of his book if you haven't already. And then visit his site, insurgents.org to download those three free bonuses he was telling you if you buy the book before the end of July 
2018. Okay, you can buy his book anywhere books are sold. Amazon, iTunes, Barnes & Noble, or even your local bookstore will have it. Or they can order it for you and then let him know and he will send you those three free bonuses. Also, if you're part of my discipleship group, make sure you check out the Gospel Dictionary course. I will be adding a couple new lessons this month, hopefully. One on fellowship, one on fire. And uh, that fire one is going to be extremely helpful for if you have questions regarding hell and everlasting fire and the lake of fire and who goes, you know, what, what, what is symbolized by all that fire imagery in scripture. Okay, that will be helpful. Should be up by the end of the month. Look forward there. If you're not part of my discipleship group, what are you waiting for? Just go to redeeminggod.com join and you can learn more there. All right. So thank you so much for listening to this episode of the One Verse Podcast and my interview with Frank Viola, author of Insurgents. We'll see you next time as we probably return and it will be just me discussing another passage of scripture. I'm happy to interview other authors, bloggers, podcasters, pastors who have books or something that they want to teach other other people. Um, so just contact me if you are, are an author or a podcaster, something like that. Or if you know one, have them contact that me through my website at redeeminggod.com. Uh, down in the lower area on the lower right at the bottom of the page is a contact me section. Just click the link there. And it'll take you to the form. Okay. Thank you so much. Thanks for listening. And remember, may your life and theology look more and more like Jesus Christ. <laughs>